everyone to episode 1 of Dial M for Magic, a darkly comedic, noir-inspired Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I am your host, Jordan Fugit, and I will be playing the character Treble. Treble is a deeply misunderstood satyr bard who is followed closely by his friend and cat, Bass, who will be voiced by my very own real-life cat, Runt. Treble likes to perform in nightclubs all throughout New Bastillon, his favorite being the Night Owl, a small, quaint place where he can play his music and perform his poetry for the only person that matters, himself. Now let's meet all of our other actors. First up, we have Dan Rogland. Hi, I'm, I'm scared to follow that. That was so professional sounding. Oh my god, I'm I Dan. You know, I, 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 I tried hard on that one. I was like, you know, let's, let's make it sound professional at least for like... 30 seconds absolutely i am dan rogland it's like a land full of rogues uh and i will be playing the character red who is a uh country boy uh forest commune raised uh he is from the isolated middle of nowhere and he is a shifter warlock who is very brand new to the big city uh, doesn't know a lot about society yet, and he works at a little carpentry shop right now called the Wood Chipper, which he's very chipper about. And that's about all I've got for Red. <laughs> all right, and next up we have Bobby. Hi, I'm Bobby K. Kefner. I will be playing Katrina Kitty Bradley. She is a tabaxi inquisitive rogue. Uh, she is a a uh, burgeoning uh, journalist who works at the Bastillon Informer, which is a mid-tier uh, publication within the city. She might not be a writer yet, but she's on her way. Uh, she comes from a small town uh, in uh, what we joke is Fantasy Kansas, uh, but she is looking to make her big break and write her first big story. And she is going to do as much investigating as possible to get there. All right. And next up, we have Nate. Uh, my name is Nathan Pierce. I play uh, Herman Cranberry. I'm a uh, seven-foot-tall Goliath barbarian, but I technically think I'm human because I was actually raised by humans. Uh, I have a tendency to go into a rage when I when I get angry and I black out and I take on another persona. And so I accidentally murdered the mayor of my hometown and I've been on the run ever since. So now I'm just a handyman in Bastillon, picking up jobs wherever I can. Do you have a name for your alternate personality? It's The Cranberry. <laughs> the Cranberry! <laughs> <laughs> No, my my other ego, he Herman doesn't know it yet, but his other ego is Vincent. Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and lastly, we have our esteemed dungeon master, who hopefully will do better than the rest of us here, <laughs> Henry. Hello, I am Henry Rogland, the GM, DM, and general manager of uh, this fine Dungeons podcast, and I will be DMing this fine noir-inspired game. I don't have nearly as uh, interesting things to say as the rest of them, so I'm going to go right into my opening narration. The rain poured down on the country of Bastalone as if someone had left a garden hose on heaven's roof. 
It was the sort of weather that makes people reminisce and speak into the middle distance. The city rises out of the countryside, a pimple on the haggard face of the earth. A mass of tall buildings surrounds the waterfront. In the north of the city lie the great shipyards, a beehive of activity both legal and illicit. To the south lies the entertainment district, where theaters put on every type of show imaginable, and the first sort of motion pictures are made in the country. A massive racetrack is there also, surrounded by all sorts of swanky supper clubs and restaurants. To the east, a series of luxury high-rises and government buildings, where the rich, the famous, the movers and the shakers rub shoulders and other body parts. Further east, isolated on a raised cliff, lies the Chapel of Repentance, the headquarters of the local chapter of Tears anti-magic enforcers. To the west is where we find ourselves, where the lay people make their home. Stone tenement buildings rise into the heavens, their shadows hiding the derelict scars of societal neglect. Working citizens do their best to make ends meet. Many are employed within the city's large industries, fishing, shipbuilding, and entertainment. The scent of dissatisfaction lies heavy in the air, like a pair of socks worn one too many times. The magical prohibition has grown unpopular, and the winds of change are blowing. Conflict is inevitable. The outcome is not. And that is where we find ourselves. You are all residents of the Blue Leaf Apartments, a roughly 12-story tenement apartment building on the lower west side of the city. You all uh, live in this building and would have seen each other before, if not been on a first-name basis. The morning begins and you all wake up, and uh, starting with Treble, go ahead and describe your apartment. So Treble lives in the basement of the apartment complex. Um, he has worked out a deal with the landlord where he pays, I don't want to say no rent, but just very little rent. So it's, it's kind of like a half-finished apartment where it's basically just a cot there's no kitchen or anything like that. It's just a cot and a toilet, basically. Picture like a uh, a, a football coach's when he after he got divorced. You know what it, what that would look like. Aww. Sorry, that was really mean. <laughs> um, no, so he's it's really just a cot, and he shares that with his cat base, um, who is very much a bed hog. So often he has to sleep on the floor while base gets to sleep on the cot. Uh, the way to get down there is actually when you go through the front door of the main building. the The stairway is at the end of the hall to go downstairs, and he's the only one who lives downstairs. So he tries to avoid talking to people as much as he can, but um, in order to get down there, he has to go walk past people. So on the walls, though, of his apartment, there are there's no posters, there's no paintings or anything. It's just all very drab, except for one wall on the far side is just covered in words. And it's just him writing his poetry out on the wall. Does it just say live, laugh, love all over the wall? <laughs> just top to everywhere. bottom. It's just live, laugh, love, just in big, bold letters. <laughs> no, it's all of his poetry is on that wall. And he, um, he doesn't like to write down stuff on paper, uh, at least his poetry. Um, so he prefers to write them on walls because he likes to be able to see them always. 
Thankfully, the landlord doesn't come and check on the condition of the apartment to see that you wrote all over the walls. I feel like that's a good way to get evicted. <laughs> she's seen it. She's cool with it. She's Yeah, she's cool with it. She's one of those cool but, landlords. Yeah, it's like she knows I'm like the the struggling artist, the troubled artist who really is just trying to find his place in the world. Uh, Red, why don't you describe your apartment? Uh, yeah. So, Red's apartment is, um, it, it reminds you, I think, as you're looking at it, of, like, an early college dorm situation, except if a college dorm came completely unfurnished. So, it's a pretty empty apartment, but it does have a lot of, sort of, DIY um, reclaimed furniture, like, there's a bed made out of reclaimed pallets, and there's, you know, some shelves that are made out of, like, reclaimed old crates, um, that he has sort of built himself. Uh, he has a lot of books, uh, which are sort of just stacked up along the walls, because he's only built, like, two shelves out of crates, and he has a lot more books then he has shelves. He has also a lot of candy wrappers just like on the floor and around. He doesn't have a trash can right now. He just sort of has a trash pile. And he has about six different bird feeders that are all sort of handmade hanging out of the two small windows of this apartment kind of crowding each other. Yeah, that's kind of his situation going on. It's very messy and very DIY. You said that it was like a college dorm, and all I'm picturing is you being able to take the crates off the wall and set them down and make a beer pong table out of them. You absolutely <laughs> could, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Red will not stop trying to recruit me for his flip cup team. Yeah, uh, yeah I should mention he has definitely gone around to every single tenant in this apartment and left everyone like a little hello nice to meet you gift bag full of candy with like a little note about himself and how he's you know new to the area and would love to be your friend he did that like a month ago that's so sweet has red dropped that off at at trouble's door does does red know that triples downstairs uh yeah i mean every door that he could find he did leave that at their door about a month ago when he moved in it's probably still sitting there okay good (laughs) (laughs) trouble's like this is probably for someone else i don't have any friends okay and uh how about kitty So Kitty has a very organized apartment, very well put together. She's got a nice bed with probably a duvet that was made by her grandmother, Uh, a nice poofy, like kind of like a wingback chair, but like a comfortable one with a a table where she can put her notebook and like a cup of coffee in the morning, Um, maybe like to eat some granola in the morning. It's like a small, probably like, I think in my mind, I think of like Judy Hopps apartment in Zootopia, uh, where it's like, it's just like a bed and like a desk and like a nice little chair because she, she, she's an assistant to an assistant. So she can't afford a lot, but it's, it's enough. Like she's made it very comfortable, but very well put together. There's like shelves on the wall, uh, one that has like five old books that she's had since she was a kid uh, next to like a picture of her family back home and their little um 
their little general store and then underneath that a few little like knickknacks from particular stories and things like that and then underneath that framed on the wall is her university degree uh that she got in journalism uh and like the nightstand next to the the bed has a little doily on it and a place to put her glasses when she goes to bed at night and a nice rug when you come in so that you can wipe your feet and take your shoes off next to the door very much different than red yeah it's way more detailed than i thought of Kitty has made what she has and can afford into something very nice, you know, because you can go to a thrift store and find very nice things. Okay, and uh, Herman, let's talk about your apartment. Okay, my apartment's it's a pretty normal apartment. It's got real simple amenities. We've got um, some tools mounted on the wall for all the handyman work that I do. Um, I also really enjoy exercising, so I made a, a makeshift bar that I attach to my bed so I can curl my bed and do dips on my bed. Um, I also keep a picture of my family next to my bed because I miss them a lot because I haven't been home in a long time. But other than that, yeah, it's really just a bed and some tools and some workout gear. It's not super messy. It doesn't look like a dorm room or anything, but uh, there's not a lot of stuff in there. Is there is there a a blender bottle and a big thing of protein powder uh, next to the sink? Yep. Yeah. Big old bottle of protein powder, a bunch of empty protein bottles out in front by the door because I've been too lazy to take them down to the trash. Do you have like a poster on the door that just has the word gains? Yeah. Yeah. And and then a poster next to that poster that says beast mode. Uh, of course. Of course. Okay. I can dig it. I whenever the description you just gave, I'm picturing uh, Riley from Letterkenny and just like what yeah. his apartment would look like. 100%. This is Riley and Jonesy's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Riley's actually my next door neighbor. Herman still doesn't know what big city slams are. Just for I'm not record. sure that anybody knows what big city slams are. Who brought the rocket, boys? But he does love to crush Sandos. He's always asking people to hold his spit cup, but he doesn't chew. <laughs> He's just like oh, handing people cups. That whole my spit cup. <laughs> yeah, you're wearing sunglasses, but no shirt. Okay, well, the day has dawned, and as I've described already, the rain is uh, pissing it down. It's a heavy rain, so it is now time for you to go to work. So, uh, Treble, since you are you tend to keep more artists' hours, uh, are you actually going to work, or is this the time where you're coming back to sleep? Uh, I am coming back to sleep. Uh, wh- about what time is it? It's about nine in the morning. Uh, I'm about, I'm coming back, so... I usually get off my shift at the night owl at around three or four. And then he usually from four to five or four to six, he usually goes to the local graveyard and just kind of hangs out there for a couple hours. (laughs) You could shave with how much edge was in that statement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's emo as shit. He just plays covers of Dashboard Confessional. (laughs) You've got a faded three doors down poster. Oh, you're me in high school. I'm not gonna lie. If, if I listened to Three Doors Down, I'd hang out at a cemetery too. Um. Okay. So as you're making your way back from performing at the Night Owl, uh, you're making your way through the streets and you turn onto the street that the Blue Leaf Apartments are on. And uh, leaning up against a street light in front of you is a surly-looking gray-bearded dwarf who is sporting a trilby and has a long slate-gray trench coat. He's regarding you from a distance and smoking a clay pipe. What do you do? 
I continue walking forward, and as I do, I stop about three feet shy of this dwarf. And it kind of in the noir style where, you know, when somebody's talking to somebody, but they refuse to look at the person, and instead they're looking out into, like, the great beyond. That's kind of what I'm doing. So instead of, like, looking at him and talking to him, I kind of turn and look up into the gray sky and say, Good evening, Grundleberg. It's Grendel's Bane, you ruffian. Grendel's Bane, Grundleberg, whatever, it's all same to trouble. He takes a puff of his pipe. I can imagine you would say that. Do I need to throw you in the stockade again? You want to make it an even dozen this time, huh? I care not, your petty prisons don't hold me for long. Isn't that right, base? And Treble, like, kind of leans down and scratches the top of Base's head, still not looking at, at the dwarf. I feel like you just sort of intimated that Base is the one who breaks you out of prison. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> Which I whether love. or not Base is the one who breaks me out of prison, but somehow my bail always gets posted. <laughs> Base is a fucking billionaire, but we don't know about it. The, uh, the dwarf takes another puff of his pipe. With the amount of time that I've seen you in the docket, count yourself lucky I won't put you in there a baker's dozen times. How did you know my mother was a baker? You'd be surprised what all I know. Have a good day, terrible. And uh, the dwarf begins to walk away, but because he's rather short, the trench coat is kind of trailing behind him, like through the mud and the water. Okay. So it's absolutely filthy. Okay. I'm going to cast sleep on him as I, like, walk into my apartment. Like, I'm going to turn and just, like, kind of point my finger at him. Kind of like a Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 3 when he's, like, dancing down the street, you know, and he's giving everybody the That's finger good. guns, no. which is kind of what I'm doing to oh. him. And I cast Yeah. And you look That's like him, too, with the, the, the makeup. Podcast. Yeah, the dark hair, the yeah. makeup, and... I think it's important at this point to just reiterate that you are a satyr. So you look like Tobey Maguire, but with goat legs. Well, True. and goat True. horns, for that matter. Yes. Which, in all fairness, if Tobey Maguire had goat legs and goat horns in that Spider-Man movie, it might not have been so bad. <laughs> it would have been pretty fucking good. It would have made the dance a lot better. Well, let's not get caught up in the semantics. What are you doing after that? Uh, So I'm going to... I'm going to, con- I, actually, I'm going to consider casting sleep on him and then be like, no, nah, I don't feel like going to jail today. And so I, uh, I walk into the apartment. Entering the apartment building, and this would be a description that you all would be aware of, but I'm just going to say it for our audience's purposes. Uh, you're immediately met with some old style brass uh, mailboxes, like with a key uh, to the right. And then there's a staircase going up and then another one on the opposite side of the mailboxes descending down into the basement. And it is this staircase that Treble would be making a beeline for. Upon entering the apartment building... Uh, it is, you don't see anybody except for a rather rotund, gray-haired gnome who is currently opening one of the mailboxes. The gnome notices you and raises a hand in greeting. Oh, hello there, Treble. How are you today? Base actually has gone up to the gnome, and you see the gnome has taken, like, a little thing, like a treat out of his pocket and is feeding it to Base. When he hears that uh, Base is getting a treat, he turns and he does a, How are you today? Oh, just fine, just fine. Just uh, waiting for me mail. Waiting for me pension check. I look at him and I say, 
I appreciate you always giving base the, the yummy treats. He tells me that he likes your treats most of all. Oh, that's very kind. He's a lovely cat. I hope you have a good day, sir. And uh, he walks. Uh, he walks back and then up the stairs to the to the next. Floor. As he walks away, I picture like I look down and I picture that base is sitting there just like looking up at me. And I look at him and I say. You are not a lovely cat. You are asshole. He just thinks you are a lovely cat because he interacts with you only two minutes a day. There's a lot of uh, life imitating art or art imitating life here, isn't there? Okay, uh, I'm going to cut away then. I'm just going to say that you may, unless you have anything that you want to do, I'll say that you've made your way down to your basement lair and are sleeping. Let us jump to uh, Kitty. Uh, you have woken up in the morning, and it's probably about an hour or so before you would go into work at the new, or at the Bastillon Informer. So what are you doing right now? Well, she starts, she gets up and she brews herself a cup of coffee, um, and then she'll see it's raining. So she's going to go pick out an outfit that is, uh, that will go with a coat, because she's going to need to wear a coat and rain boots. Um, but then she's also going to have to get a bag together so that she can take her sensible heels to work as well. Because you, when you work in an office and you're a woman, you have to show that you care about what you look like because that's what everyone else cares about. So she's putting together an outfit and then she'll probably start reading the newspaper that like is the higher tier newspaper that shows up on her doorstep, the one she really wants to work for, uh. not the one she actually is working for. So she'll start reading that first. And while she's uh, she's reading that, drinking coffee and like taking her hair out of like the set curlers so that her hair looks really nice because she has, so she has like brown regular body fur because she's a tabaxi and like some striping on her face, but she also has a head of uh or like orangey red hair that she kind of like curls and styles. So she's like doing that. Um, and so it, in the morning, it only probably takes her like 15 to 20 minutes to get ready. And then she spends the rest of that time before she needs to start walking to work, uh, reading the newspaper and just seeing if there's anything interesting. Um, something that the new, uh, the Bastillon informer might not have picked up on that maybe she can like try to like drop hints that, that she could look into that or, um, oh, I saw this in the star today that they said this angle of the story kind of thing. So in reading that newspaper then, the Bastillon Star, as it turns out, uh, the first few <laughs> headlines that you see are, one of them says, Floating city sinks slightly. Panic ensues over shoddy construction. And there's an article about one of the floating cities uh, off to the west. Okay, and so that super piques her interest because she, when she went to university, she interacted people who were from around there and that were about the floating cities like that they were constructed because they said it was for archaeological reasons and like art like study reasons but she thinks that there's something more to it so now that one's starting to like sink like is it sinking on purpose um because it was it was uh like tied to the war in some way there was a war 35 years ago and she's like thinking that maybe that the cities so she like she grabs she like cuts that one out of the paper and she has a notebook that she always has with her she underlines a few of like the important details of like okay that that the it's starting to sink this is how far it sank this is what people are worried about is it the construction area and then she like glues it into her notebook along with a bunch of other ones 
that she already has in there. And then once that's done, it's probably time for her to get ready to go to work. So she puts on a hat so that her hair doesn't get too messed up, puts on her jacket, puts on the rain boots, grabs a little bag to put her notebook and her shoes in uh, and her wallet and grabs her umbrella and heads out the door. As you are leaving your apartment, uh, you, uh, in front of you, you see a probably middle-aged gnome woman who uh, is carrying a flower pot which has some tomatoes growing out of it. And she turns, or she sees you. She's kind of coming in from a back entrance, and you know that there's like a little neighborhood garden behind it, so probably coming from there. And she turns to you and gives you this big old grin and goes, Oh, hi, kitty. Uh, Would you you like some tomatoes? Oh, I I would just love them. I I, I love to put them on my salads uh, in the evening when I come home. Um, Are are you supposed to be bringing the tomatoes and i thought those were in the in the community garden um is it getting too cold for tomatoes is 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 that why you're bringing it in from the outside oh yeah uh that a little bit of the uh the greenhouse collapsed so i just didn't want these to get damaged and these are these are pretty ripe so uh she picks a couple off of them and hands them to you oh well thank you um the greenhouse collapse have you talked to the there's that handyman that lives the floor above have you have you talked to him to maybe see if he can um look at the the greenhouse and maybe get that fixed uh for everyone oh but he's he's such a busy young man i i would hate to i would hate to trouble him with something so minor but uh if i see him around i'll be sure to sure to give him an ask i'm sure he could benefit from some good homegrown gnomish tomatoes i i mean i they'll probably be like a cherry tomato to him but i i'm sure he would he would love that (laughs) i'm sure you're right well uh you you have a good day now you hear and uh, she kind of bustles by you without without waiting for you to respond and, and goes up the stairs. Uh, okay, we're going to jump over slightly uh, and we'll pick up again in a moment. But um, Red, what are you doing in the morning? Um, so I think that Red is uh, just hanging out in his apartment. He woke up with the sun as usual um, and he is... Uh, putting out his bird seed in all of his feeders and greeting all of the sort of local city birds that have come to know his uh, apartment windows as their feeding space in the morning. He's uh, saying hello to them and then, um, you know, eating some leftover bakery treats from yesterday for his breakfast and uh getting ready to go to work he um he is pretty much human looking uh he he basically looks like a human with slightly pointed ears so like not quite half elf um he has a bright red mohawk and uh he does not have a lot of fancy clothes but he just puts on like a fresh shirt uh sort of college student style and um, heads out to work. College student style, as in you pick it up off the ground, smell it, and it doesn't stink, so you put it on. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yes. Herman, describe your morning routine. Uh, Herman just finished his breakfast, and uh, he's going to get in a couple reps before he has to go fix the heater in Ernest and Mabel's apartment. So he curls his bed a couple times, does a couple squats, some dips, and then uh, heads downstairs to go to Ernest and Mabel's and goes and knocks on the door. Was his breakfast like a half a package of bacon and a half a dozen eggs? Yeah, it's just a whole carton of eggs. And then, yeah, a, a ton of bacon. Just a mound of bacon. 
in knocking on the door of Ernest and Mabel's apartment, they've sort of like it is the nicest door in their on their floor. Like it's been freshly painted and it clearly is something that they did themselves. It's got like a little garland of flowers uh kind of draped around the number on the door and it has like a little decorative uh door knocker in the shape of a fish like a little a little silver salmon so you knock on that and uh the door opens and uh you see the gray or silver gray haired gnome Ernest has he's wearing sort of like a tank top so that he, or like a basically a sleeveless shirt and you can see that he has a number of uh tattoos in kind of a dark blue ink uh and they're all tattoos either of fish or of ships and you can see a large anchor on one of his biceps oh morning Ernest. i uh, i like your tank top really got to show off the guns you know what i mean your uh your guns are looking well this morning too hey thanks you know you just gotta rock it and shock it and keep the body guessing you know <laughs> Um, I think I think my I'm, body's been guessing at me for the last forty years, but uh, I'm glad that yours still responds in the in the way that you want. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, Ernest. Um, do you and uh, Mabel have any pelvis issues? Because I got this new workout uh, routine that I started. It's called Crotch Fit, and it's just a daily workout regimen of different pelvic exercises that I think you and Mabel would really benefit from. I hate this. I hate that you've introduced <laughs> this. <to our> world. <laughs> Also, Herman never shuts up about crotch fit. Did Herman come up with crotch fit? Yeah, 100%. Well, well, uh, to be honest, uh, I don't have much use for for my crotch anymore. Um, It's sort of of one of those appendages you forget about the the older you get. Um, Herman doesn't say anything, but you can tell he feels bad for Mabel. But uh, I wouldn't worry about that too much, lad. Now, uh, are you here about the water heater? Yeah, I came to fix the heater. I heard you guys haven't had hot water for a day or two. I feel really bad about that. I meant to get down here yesterday, but I just had so many things to fix that I, I just got behind. But I'm, I'm here now oh, to fix it. It's quite all right, lad. Quite all right. You've 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 probably fixed it before, so you know where to find it. So you're able to make your way there. And uh, as you're doing that, you see Ernest go into the kitchen area of the apartment. And he comes back, and he's got like a tray of muffins. And he hands one to you. Oh, thanks, Ernest. I mean, I'm trying to avoid carbs, but these look really good. Uh, any chance you know how much protein's in these? Well, uh, you know, it's difficult to say. Uh, Mabel made these. I-, I think they've got apple in them, and I don't think apple's a protein, but uh, <laughs> you know me. I've been wrong before about apples. <laughs> right. Anyway. Um... <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> thanks, Ernest. They look I delicious. I don't need you to tell me what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think also I need me to tell me what that means. So. Ernest actually thinks uh, apples are oranges. He's old enough. He might. He, there might have been a time where apples were once oranges. This is where we find out that Ernest has dementia. That's a dark twist. So early, so early <laughs> in the podcast. Uh, anywho, uh, he hands that to you, and uh, as you are talking with him, uh, you hear the door open. Hi there, Herman. Uh, was just out in the garden. How you been today? I've been doing good, Mabel. How are you? Oh, you know, just uh, just out there on my grind, as it were. Uh, well, not so much anymore. But um, anyway, I was working on my tomatoes, and she kind of shows you the the flower pot. Yeah, I just wanted to wanted to get these uh, out of the rain, you know, so they don't get ruined. Uh, would you like some? I would love some. Do you know how much protein's in those? Well, uh, <laughs> I I mean, they they are vegetables, uh, Herman. So almost almost none. That's okay. 
It's my cheat day. Oh, well, uh, as long as it's not academic cheating, I, I think you're in good shape. And she kind of looks at you with a very stern eye. You know, back in my day when I was a professor, we never took very kindly to cheating. And, uh, you know, of course, with botany, it's, it's very difficult to cheat because uh, you can't really forge plants. So anyway, uh, I'm going to go to the kitchen. Okay, thanks for the tomatoes, Mabel. Appreciate it. Oh, of course, of course. I don't actually eat the tomatoes. I pretend to eat them and I stuff them in my pocket. Do you forcibly stuff them in there, or...? I mean, in the normal way you put something in your pocket. Well, I don't normally put tomatoes in my pocket, so... <laughs> I'm not sure... Because you're not trying to get swole. Later in the podcast, you're gonna just start dripping, like, it'll look like blood is coming from your leg, but it's actually just tomato juice. Okay, uh, we're gonna pan away slightly. It's You're not gonna be able to fix the water heater right away. I mean, it's a water heater, and uh, I'm assuming we've all lived in terrible enough apartment buildings with average or below average maintenance, so sometimes those fixes can take a little bit. Yeah, Herman's, Herman's a figure it out while you He's go. He's gotta go guy. down to the Gnome yeah. Depot and uh, get the part that he needs. <laughs> nice. Somehow, some way, you I will find a negative role for you <laughs> this this session. Shout out I I just want to shout out to our maintenance guy. <laughs> yes, uh Greg is fucking fantastic. And Greg, MVP. I know that I well, I don't think you are a D&D podcast listener, but just know you're a real Greg OG. Listens, we love you, Greg. Are you talking about your real life maintenance person? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> our real life maintenance guy. Yes. Absolutely. Greg gains 10 experience points. Greg needs a raise. Whatever he's making, triple it. I don't I don't care. That guy fucks. <laughs> <laughs> because it does a lot of crotch fit. The apartment building that you all are in is kind of in the middle of the block. Across from you and to the side, left and right, are more of these either gray-colored stone or red-brick tenement apartment buildings. Each of them are between 10 to 15 stories tall. Uh, you're on a, a roughly cobblestoned, like, it's partially cobblestone, but partially almost paved with sort of a smooth, concrete-like substance. To get to your paper, you would basically head straight down the street, and it's in an office building about six blocks down. You're, and the area that you're in is mostly residential, I should also say. You are in the rougher part of town, so it's just a lot of these kind of teetering, tall, not particularly well-put-together apartment buildings. And periodically, you will, you'll pass, like, a corner store where uh, they'll be selling, like, pretty basic vegetables and snacks and booze and things like that. Like, like bodegas. Indeed. Well, I wasn't going to use that word, but yes. Uh, like, <laughs> exact, almost exactly like that, in fact. They're, they're fantasy bodegas. <laughs> yeah, fantasy bodegas. With fantasy bodega cats, more importantly. Um, as you're passing... Uh, on your left and your right, you also see a number of posters for various attractions and uh, several bands that are playing in the vicinity. To your left, you see a poster which is like almost black and it just has plain white lettering that says, Crushing Clarence, coming to a stage near you. To your right, you also see an ad for a motion picture entitled, The Spy Who Was a Gun. Moving further on, you also see a poster for... Another crime thriller called Kiss Me Tomorrow, Yesterday Tonight. Eventually, you make your way to the Bastillon Informer. And I apologize to our listeners for a moment. I'm going to describe this in great detail because I used to work for a newspaper 
and I have some beef to resolve. <laughs> you enter the Bastillon Informer. It's a three-story building. Uh, the bottom floor is taken up entirely by the printing press. It smells of ink and paper and a lot of body odor. It is generally unpleasant and not the place that you want to be. To reach the second floor where the editing is done and the meetings are held, you have to go up a very a very ramshackle staircase, which is covered and very difficult to get up because there are a number of piles of paper, uh, old newspapers that have been left there. Newspapers that were not bought and not purchased, and in fact remained almost pristine in their packaging, but were not thrown away like a sensible person would do and remove a tripping hazard. Or recycled and used, you know, to make new newspaper. No, that would be too easy. Okay, I'm sorry. That I, I went to a dark place there for a moment, but I, I, I'm, I'm back now. Uh, having made your way up the staircase, uh, you're met with the smell of tobacco and other smokable herbs there's also just a cloud a low-hanging cloud of smoke throughout the throughout the office uh it's it's the noir-esque time and smoking is popular especially for big newspaper men who are trying to bust the story wide open and uh you make your way kind of through these offices you uh, oh actually before i i'm getting ahead of myself slightly as you enter you are greeted by another tabaxi and this tabaxi has uh red kind of circular glasses that she has pushed down to the very tip of her nose so that she can look over them at you. And she's chewing bubblegum with her mouth open, popping it very loudly. And she is reading uh, some sort of tabloid called The Secret Informer. And uh, the cover, because she's reading it and she's kind of facing you while sitting in her chair. The, the headline for it says, 10 things you didn't know about Minotaur lovers. Number four might surprise you. <laughs> And uh, she puts this magazine down and looks at you. And Well, hello, kitty. You're looking present today. And you're looking so very busy right now, aren't you? You're just getting getting so much work done right now. Oh, you know how it is. And she's like cleaning her claws and just giving you the the judgmental glare, essentially. I'm always swamped with work over here. And you can tell there's like nothing on her desk. She has no papers, yep. no nothing. Just magazines, a pile of gum, and pictures of men. Duh. By the way, boss man wants to see you as soon as you got in. Actually, you and other people. You didn't think he just wanted to see you, did you? Well, I, I mean, I... I, I mean, I have I have been leaving him pitches um, on his desk when I deliver the coffee, so maybe he wanted to see me just for me. But that's it's it's fine. It's fine. That's it's fine. And she like angrily takes off her coat and like puts it over her chair and then changes her shoes really quick. You know, like when you have a boots and you kind of like want to shake the stuff off the bottom. She tries to do that towards Dottie too. Like she takes the boot off and shakes it once and then. Puts it next to her desk. When Kitty sits down at her desk, does she have to roll and do a check to see if she arbitrarily knocks things off of her desk? No, she has more self-control than that. Okay. Dottie, on the other hand, probably has like broken coffee cups all the way around her desk because she's just the worst. 
Dottie regards you with a look of disdain and then goes back to reading about Minotaur lovers or or something. Um, you make your way into the office, and uh, as before, there is a fine, thick layer of smoke in the air. Uh, as you enter the editor's office, he his back is turned to you, or their back is turned to you. So you can only see, like, a steady, a little puffs of smoke coming. And if, after, like, 30 seconds of you waiting there, the, the chair slowly turns around. You see a... Another satyr wearing a, a smoke gray suit, uh, but he's taken off take, without the jacket part. You can see the jacket draped over the desk and he's wearing suspenders and he's got a really thick cigar, like firmly entrenched in his teeth, just like he's chewing the hell out of it. And he looks up at you and he says, well, it took you long enough to get in here, kitty. There are things that need doing. Take a seat over there. And he gestures to a chair. I, I, yes, uh, uh, of course, sir. And she just, like, plops down in the chair, has her notebook open, pencil ready. Now look here. Simpson has called in sick the last four days, and I've just heard that he's likely going to lose a leg, so he's going to be out for quite some time. I'm going to need you to go out and get some extra coffee for everybody here. They'll be doing extra work. Additionally, and he kind of just sighs slightly, we might need you to do some reporting. <gasps> she like tries to hold her excitement in like she's like she's gripping her notebook and her pencil so hard yes i i don't like it any more than you do but sadly we we need an extra pair of hands and eyes on this and uh as near as i can tell you have both hands and eyes yes sir i do have both hands and eyes and and glasses so technically four eyes if, if yeah anyway we're gonna be running a story next week on the living conditions in the western half of the city and i I think, uh, if memory serves, you, you're somewhat familiar with it, so, uh... I, uh, um, I mean, y yes, sir, I, I do live in, in the western part of the city. Uh, that is correct. It, it, it's, it's a fine, fine place to live if, if you don't get paid well enough to afford to live anywhere else. Are you saying you don't get paid enough at my establishment? No, sir, I get paid plenty to go run and get coffee for everyone. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. You understand, of course, that we pride ourselves on paying our coffee people at least one copper piece more than the average. Yeah, yes, sir. Technically, I, I am an assistant. I, I'm not just a, a coffee person, but yes, I, I understand, sir. Right, right. Uh, 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 about, the, about the story, yes. You, 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 wanna, you want to do a story about the, the living conditions in the western part of the city? That's correct. Sort of a, sort of a, takes a drag of his cigar. I want to look at a sort of an inside scoop. I want to, I want some interviews of inhabitants. I want to hear if they're happy or if they're sad. Uh, actually, leave the happy ones out. I, it sells better if they're all sad. But you look pretty sad yourself. I'm sure you know some sad people. And he takes another drag of the cigar. Thank you, sir. And then her ears kind of do that, like, cat thing where it's like, oh. They just fold down just a tiny bit. I just need an extra body, and frankly, we're short on hands right now. Oh, can you send Dottie in on your way out? Uh, uh of, of, of course I can. I can send Dottie in as, as soon as I leave. Uh, um, do you want to see her for anything in particular I, so that I can tell her why she's being sent in to, to see you? Uh, yes, I've got to dictate a memo to her. Oh. Oh. Okay. And she'll just, like, close her notebook, put her pencil on the top of it, and she'll be like, 
I'll, I'll send her right in. Do you want me to start on that story right away? I can I can start on that story right away if you'd like me to. I, I It's not too far from here. Well, uh, first things first, I want you to go around and make sure that everyone's had their morning coffee. Once, you, once you've done that, uh, yes, by all means, start on the story. Great, sir. And, and then she will just nod her head enthusiastically. She will walk out. She'll use her tail to close the door behind her. Um, uh, so I, I will go get everyone's coffee order, um, pick it all up, uh, distribute it just as I normally do if no fanfare or thanks or anything. Um, but then I'm going to head back to the apartment, um, just try to start seeing if I can interview some people. Um, we'll start with that, uh, I think Mr. Terrible, um, in the basement would probably be the best bet. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, Red, uh, let's pan over to you. So, you are on your way to the wood chipper. Not a euphemism. Uh, your your place of work is, in fact, called the wood chipper. So, uh, Red, as you're progressing through the city streets, uh, you come across uh, or a familiar site, a bakery that you have been to several times. Yeah, I'm going to stop in there for my second breakfast because apparently I'm a hobbit. And uh, just... Just pop in there, uh, see what's cooking. Entering, uh, it is a bakery run entirely by Goliaths. So there are some very tall shelves full of delicious uh, baked goods. You can see pastries, bread, donuts of, of a couple varieties. And it's sort of like your classic 1940s diner. Um, there's a long counter with stools and kind of a checkered countertop. And they're wearing those ridiculous 40s hats, like the ones that are made of paper, like white paper, almost diamond-shaped hats. Like a diner, like an old-style diner. Yes, like an old-style diner, because that's that's where my language has taken me today, because apparently I'm linguistically bankrupt. Um, <laughs> and I'm sorry for everybody. Uh, but they recognize you immediately, and one of the Goliaths is like, Well, good morning, Red. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good, Sonny. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Not so bad. Uh, what can I get you today? Oh, uh, you know, I'll have the usual coffee. And, uh, what, what have you got today for, uh, breakfast? Well, for breakfast, uh, we're trying a, a new thing. It's called a bagel. Well, I say try. We burned it, so it's a little crispy. Uh, we, uh, maybe better, better to not have that. Uh, we have some delightful breakfast pastries with, uh, some with apple and blackberry, and we had some gooseberries that we had to use up. So there's, uh, some some gooseberries and honestly i can't recommend the gooseberry thing either you're probably better off with the with the apple or the blackberry and uh oh you want and you want your usual coffee order so he begins to pour coffee and then he takes like one of those containers of sugar and just starts pouring it into the coffee and he doesn't really stop it's like a good 30 seconds of of sugar pouring it's perfect that's the way that i like it he eventually finishes and hands you the hands you the beverage and uh, also hands you a large pastry wrapped in brown paper appreciate it as always and i put down the usual payment for it which is you know, some coppers or yep. something. Six coppers. Whatever we have. And uh, he also was like, uh, did you bring your punch card today? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Leave that. Uh, he uh, rifles around in his pockets a little bit and uh, pulls out a very battered little punch card. Uh, he, you know, he's also been walking in the rain and he did not bring any sort of rain protection. So it's like kind of wet, but he slides it across the counter. 
Okay, so he takes your punch card and he takes one of those little hole punches and punches it in there. And he actually gives you two stamps and hands it back. And you can see that you've only got two more to go before you get a free pastry. Ah, uh, hey, getting close. Yep, you're you're getting close. Uh, you know, uh, you're you're our most steady customer, and we always love to see you. I I say goodbye to like the people, you know, cleaning the tables and whatnot as I'm heading out. I'm like, but have a great day. See you later. And luckily, your work isn't too far away. It's not as far away as Kitty's is, so it's only another probably two or three blocks, and you arrive at the wood chipper, a single story building but kind of large it's got like a conventional door and then one of those almost garage doors next to it so that you can walk into like the wood shop and uh currently that door is open and in front of you you see a number of different projects that are getting worked on uh you can see that there's a boat i mean and you would know this too but there's a boat that's being built uh, there are a couple of cabinets that are getting put together and finished and painted. There's also a place in the back where there's like a wood saw where timber is actually getting shaped and cut down to what it needs to be. And uh, you see a couple of co-workers milling about doing various tasks. Hey, good morning, everyone. Sorry, I'm a little late. I've got an extra pastry here for uh, anybody who might need it. A furbolg who just looks like he's sucked on the most potent lemon ever. He's just, he's so unhappy looking. Kind of comes up to you and, Oh, hello, Red. Late to work again, I see. Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, you know, it's pretty, it's raining cats and dogs out there. But I am ready to work. Well, there's a first time for everything, isn't there? Very well, I believe Derek has you building a boat today. All right, hey, Derek. I got a pastry for you, my man. Oh, thanks for the pastry, brother. That's the stuff that really gets the blood pumping. And Derek is wearing, like, he's got, like, a bright yellow bandana sort of thing, but he's also got, like, a face covering, like a like a mask, because he's been working on, like, a wood saw, so he's got, like, wood chips flying at him constantly. Yeah, this chopping, this slicing wood is, is uh, hungry work. And he'll he'll take the pastry from you. Are you set to work on the on the boat today, man? That's right, that's what I'm working on. And uh, he points you in the direction of the boat, which is just like a little rowboat. Like it's got a, or maybe not a rowboat, it's got a single sail, but it's not very large. And currently like the hull of the boat is done, but now you're working on the interior, like putting in a seat putting in a uh, mounting for the mast, that sort of thing. Yeah, so uh, as you start to work on this boat, something breaks and the boat actually starts to fall on you. So how is the boat, like, suspended? It's, it's like, propped up on some sawhorses. So it's, it's like, okay. maybe three to four feet off the ground. Okay, so it's falling, like, into me. Not, like, from above right. my head. Okay. You know, I am going to actually, uh, I, I, I'm just, I'm gonna try to just catch it with my strength. Um, I am playing a character who has some amount of strength. Go ahead and make a strength saving throw then. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a three. My first roll of the game, it was a three. 
Okay, so you're kind of driven to the ground and you're kind of wrestling with this boat that's on top of you to the point where you can really only whisper, like you really get the breath driven out of you. Uh, are my coworkers there seeing this terrible plight? One of them takes notice, but the other one is on the other side of the shop and doesn't see it happen. And the one who takes notice is just like, you're fine. The one who takes notice, unfortunately, is Clyde. And Clyde doesn't really care for you. Or par- Clive, excuse me, not Clyde. Um, <laughs> I am going to, um, I will use my druid craft and I'm going to, uh, make a harmless sensory effect of, uh, this list, the sound of a small animal. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to make the sound of like um like a bird like a bird got into the shop basically is what I'm going to do to get my other coworker to turn around and help me. It sounds like this. Kaka! Kaka! <laughs> <laughs> <Kaka>, Jason. <laughs> You are able to get the attention of Derek, uh, who also looks, before he comes over to you, he, like, looks up at the ceiling and kind of looks around like he's looking for the bird. And then he, like, it takes him almost no effort, but he, like, takes a single hand and moves the boat off of you and back to its resting place. Hey, you good, Red? Oh, yeah, I just, uh, I I was, uh, a little careless there, I suppose. Did you hear a bird in here at all? Uh, you know, I did. Yeah, I I think uh, something might have got in the shop, but I, I don't see it now. Maybe it flew in, flew right out. Uh, all right. Well, if you see it, you let me know. We have a strict no birds in our wood shop policy. Not after the great woodpecker yes, debacle sir. of 84. Hmm. Oh, that that would be a real problem getting a woodpecker up in here. Clive comes up to you and he just like leans down and whispers in your ear. I know what you did. I uh, yes, I am sorry, sir. I did. I did let the boat fall, but it it seems to be okay. I'm going to put an extra coat on it. That's not what I meant. And you know it. You know the rules about magic in the shop. Just know that I'm watching you, Red. Uh we're going to pan away from here now and go back to Herman. So, it's been a few hours. I'm going to say that you've successfully fixed the water heater. What would you like to do? Um, and now Herman's going to go out for some lunch. Okay. Are you looking to just slam some protein? What kind of food are you looking for here? Well, Riley recommended this great place to crush some sandos, so I'm going to go to the, the sandwich shop. <laughs> Artis- artisanal bakery. This is so good. Anyone, anyone who's listening to this podcast has to watch Letterkenny now. <laughs> it's, it's important. Please watch Letterkenny. Uh, <laughs> it's all Letterkenny and <laughs> All, yeah, exactly. Letter, adjacent. Specifically adjacent. Let's cross um, out Noir and just write in a Letterkenny-based podcast. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> Made by not Canadians. <laughs> um, okay, so you you have like a, a favorite sandwich spot in the neighborhood. It's called Macaulay's Magnificent Munches. It's a pub run by the kind of, he's kind of a local legend, local fixture, but there's a an old hobgoblin, an ex-warlord named Grudge Macaulay who runs this sandwich shop and he's known for creating these delicious sandwiches but also having one of the world's worst tempers. All right, so I walk in and I go up and I'm like, how's it going, Grudge? I'm here for my, my 
my usual. Oh, hello there, Herman. Your usual it'll be. Anything else for you today? Um, do you sell protein shakes here? I can't remember. Certainly not. We don't buy into that sort of newfangled food rubbish. Honest sandwiches for honest people. Alright, fair enough. I'll just take the usual then. Extra mayonnaise. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> I've just triggered. <laughs> oh, like, God. Yeah, Oh, I... <laughs> Mayonnaise is just food lube to get it down your food tube. Oh, that's worse. Far worse. <laughs> that is, is far worse. That's from Drafi. You're welcome. Well, I need to take a moment to gather myself after food lube. Uh, he hands you, a, like, the most protein-packed sandwich ever. Like, the bread is doing a lot of heavy lifting here to support the sheer weight of, like, roast beef and pieces of pork belly and bacon. And there is an almost decorative small piece of lettuce on it. But he hands it to you with, like, a steak knife stuck in it so that you can... So that it's a manageable size. I mean, for you, it's probably a normal size. For for other people, regular sized people, it would be a ginormous sandwich. Oh, thanks so much for this sandwich. It, it tastes delicious. I'm really loving this food lube you put on there. It's so tasty. Is that another new term you kids are using? Yeah, yeah, that's what we call mayonnaise. You, you haven't heard about that one yet? No, I haven't. But uh, to be fair, I don't make my way out into polite society very often. I'm, I'm much more comfortable in impolite society. Mm. It's all the craze right now. Everyone's calling it food loop, so I'm sure you're going to hear it a lot from now on. Now that I'm done with the sandwich, uh, I'm going to go back to the apartment. So, Kitty, you're heading to the apartment. Herman is heading to the apartment. Red, you're still out, or are you also heading to the apartment? I'm heading to the apartment. Okay, so it's just Treble that's going out into the city. Okay, then I'm going to go ahead and do your scene next. So, you arrive at the Night Owl probably like an hour... No, maybe like half an hour before it opens. Uh, you're let in because they know you. And behind the bar is a blue-haired half-orc who is vigorously polishing glasses. So vigorously, in fact, that every three or four glasses, one of them breaks. But the glasses that are intact are very shiny. Well, hello there, Treble. Hello, Talon. How goes your night tonight? Looks like it'll be a pretty pretty good evening uh, with you uh, performing your classic tunes and uh, the, the chef trying out some food that might even be edible. I think we'll be in very good shape. We're in shape for edible food tonight. I like, I like. Sounds like it will be good night tonight. I wrote some new poetry for tonight. I think I shall read. Did you now? And uh, what sort of poetry did you write? Oh, just my usual. I see. And uh, how depressing will it be? Well, I have three that I can read. Uh, I could read death, I could read green, or I could read red. I like death. Yes, I've, uh, I've, uh, gotten that impression. Okay, well, uh, the show, you, you go and, uh, here, uh, and he motions to one of those servers who brings you, uh, brings you, like, a pork chop and, like, a flagon, or not a flagon, like a mug of ale. Oh, pork chops tonight, excellent. Uh, as a game note have you actually prepared a poem i have oh boy okay well <laughs> like i said i have three that you can pick from death green or red well it's your choice you oh i'll do cats i'll do cats i gotta do cats we'll, we'll save death for a later one people start filing in patrons some of whom you recognize some of whom some of whom were new faces after a little while talon motions to you to get up on the stage and he walks up and he's like and to introduce our performer of the evening treble the satyr and there's like a little smattering of applause throughout the bar 
uh, Treble gets up and without looking at any members of the audience, he walks up onto the stage. He'll start with a poem. So he goes to the, what does, is there a microphone or is it just a spoken word? No, there's a microphone. Uh, it's a little bit battered, but it's on a little mic stand just so, yeah, in the center of the stage. I'll walk up to the microphone. And um, so the way that uh, Treble's hair is, is it's like uh, his bangs like fall on his face. And so he has to like kind of sideswipe them out of his face. And he says, cats lying next to me, looking so sweet, purring in the time to no particular beat. A good companion to an artist or a poet. For they know much, but do little to show it. They are joy, chaos, and calm. Plus they vibrate under your palm. Studying cats takes far too long. For studying why they make that song. A song for humans to understand. To give them whatever they demand. And treble bows. Uh, real performance. Uh, oh. Okay. Uh, 24. Well then, um, you have a lot of people clapping and then some of them are snapping their fingers like beatniks would. Yes, that was what uh, I was going for. (laughs) You hear, you hear somebody from the back of the crowd yelling, far out, man. Yeah. Somebody in the front going, wow, that didn't suck as much as I thought it would. (laughs) And uh, meanwhile, bass is, there's like a stool next to the microphone, and that's where uh, bass sits the whole time I perform. Uh, unless if I'm playing the piano, which he lays on the piano when I'm playing the piano. But he was sitting there during the whole Cats poem. But then I'll, once I finish the poem, with with complete disregard to everyone's, you know, cheers and snaps, uh, he goes up to the piano and begins playing. And that's where he'll, that's where he'll maintain himself for most of the evening with the piano and his harmonica. Uh, people will come up and tip you uh, into a glass jar that's resting on the piano. Go ahead and roll a d12, and that'll you can make that much gold in tips. Ah, six gold. Good night. Okay, good deal. Okay, now we were going to pan over to the other group. Upon entering the apartment building, you notice that there are a lot of people in the entry hallway. Normally, you don't really see, you know, more than one or two, and those people are just getting the mail. But you notice that there's a crowd of probably 12 people, and they're all clustered around a radio that someone has brought out and has rested on an, on an entry table. And as you enter the hallway and get closer, you start to hear what sounds like a news broadcast. You can hear little smatterings from the crowd of, they're going to announce it soon. Uh, that sounds rather serious. Do we know why? You know, you aren't kidding full sentences. You're just getting a smattering of conversation. I'm getting up in that crowd. I want to hear. After a couple, or probably 20 seconds of this, you hear this little, Here follows an official broadcast of the Bastillon News Service. Earlier today, we received word that one of our cities, the floating city of Seagard, has begun to sink below the waves of the Great Glass Sea. Rescue operations are currently underway, but that is all the information we have at this time. We are currently seeking any of you who may be skilled at nautical operations, deep sea salvage, or sailing, to please come forward immediately. You will be richly rewarded for your time. This has been the Bastolo News Service. I'm Nigel Feathers. Good luck and good night. 
Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Dial M for Magic. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'll have a new one dropping every two weeks, with the next episode coming at you June 24th. It's time to give credit where credit is due. We had a lot of people working really hard on this podcast over the last couple months. We had Alex Hills produce all of our music. We had Ashley Meisner Taran make all of our artwork. And of course, our fabulous cast. We had Nathan Pierce as Herman Cranberry, Bobby K. Kuffner as Kitty Bradley, Danielle Rogland as Red, and Jordan Fugit as Treble. And we had Henry Rogland as our Dungeon Master. If you enjoyed today's episode, check us out on Twitter at M4MagicCast or on Instagram at dial underscore M underscore podcast. Thank you very much, and we hope to see you again in two weeks.